Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on taking our seat in the throne room. And it's amazing. Jahan spoke last week and she said, if we cannot see what heaven sees, then we're stuck in the limitations of our current reality. If we cannot see what heaven sees, then we're stuck in the limitations of our current reality. And I just want to kind of talk even more about that today in seeing correctly and then what we do based on what we see. We're just going to dive into a little portion. There's so much in this story. Who's read the book of Esther or the story of Esther? There's just so much depth in that story, so much implications for us today as body of believers who came from orphans, right? And we weren't a people, and now we are a people, and now we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, right? To show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his excellent light. And so it's a beautiful story that has so many implications for us today. And um, so we don't have time to go into the whole story I would love to recap it because it's very fun, and we'll just, I can't do any of it. I can't go through any of it before this. I just don't have time. If I get started on King Ahasuerus and Vashti, Queen Vashti, I'll be there all day. And so um, let's just suffice to say everything up to this point, God was moving and working and moving people out and moving people in and doing what he does. Okay, and then so we pick up where God has put people in position to do what he's called them to do. And then we see Esther take that position and use it to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And so this is the second time that Esther comes in. She comes in the first time. She's scared to death. She's afraid she's going to die. And she comes into the king's presence and makes an appeal to him. And he does some does what she asks. And then she gets a little more boldness, so she comes back in a second time and takes it to another level. And so I hope that we, at the end of today, start taking things to another level, get a little bit more boldness and a little bit more authority is what I'm hoping for. And so let's pick it up in verse 3. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Haggite. Agagite, sorry. That's another group of people. And his plot, which he had devised against the Jews. Just, just really cool. Haman was jealous because Mordecai, who, which was Esther's cousin, who adopted Esther and ro- raised her as his own rose her as his own daughter, raised her as his own daughter. That's uh, what I was getting ready to say, rose. He raised her as his own daughter. Uh, Mordecai was an exile. He was a refugee. And his brother's daughter, his parents, yeah, you know, his uncle's daughter was orphaned. Her parents had died. And so these are a bunch of misfit rejects. A refugee raising an orphan. And, um, and so here they are, a refugee raising an orphan, but they never forgot who they were. 
And so Haman found this place of influence with the king, and I believe it's because of an orphan spirit that left an opening, and someone refused to worship in the king's presence, and so that left a wound there, and it allowed this Haman to come in and extort that wound. You know the enemy likes to extort our broken places. And so Haman comes in, and he is able to manipulate the king, and he's able to get the king to do his wishes. And he's so mad, and this is why he wants to kill all the Jews, because Mordecai won't bow down before him like everybody else does when he walks into a room. Because Mordecai won't bow his knee to anything other than the one true God. And so Haman wants to kill Mordecai. Make a long story short, Haman builds gallows in front of his house. That is some serious hatred and bitterness. If you give up your front yard and turn it into a place to hang somebody, you're holding on to something, right? I mean, that's serious. And so he does that. Crazy thing about the story, guess who ends up hanging on the gallows in Haman's front yard? Haman. Haman ends up I think it's Proverbs talks about they push stones uphills. It reminds me of Wally the Coyote, all right? They try to trap people. They try to do harm to people, and the stone rolls back over them. The Bible's full of great stories. I believe that's what everything comes from. Nothing new under the sun. They made Wally Coyote after Proverbs, all right? And so it happened to Haman such as that. So Haman had this scheme and that's all part of the backstory we can't go into any further than I already have. And so she comes in and she asked him to um, avert the scheme, the, the decrees to have all of the Jews killed. Verse 4, the king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. Then she said, if it pleases the king, excuse me, and if I've found favor before him, And the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite. Love it. Which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people? And how can I endure to see the destruction of of my kindred. Okay? So verse 7. So King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows because he had stretched out his hands against the Jews. Now you, look at that, verse 8. Now you write to the Jews as you see fit, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For for a decree with it, with, for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Verse 8, now you write to the Jews as you see fit. In the king's name. And seal it with the king's signet ring. 
for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet, signet ring may not be revoked. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, that is the month seven, and on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, and to every people according to their language, as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. You understand this? It was written to 127 different provinces in their language where they can understand and sent out. That's a miracle in itself. Okay? Where was I? Verse 10. He wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet, signet ring and sent letters by courier on horses riding on steeds seared by the royal stud. In them, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. That's serious stuff, right? To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. I mean, destroy would have worked, kill would have worked, but we just keep going. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. On one day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is, the month Adar, a copy of the edict to be issued as law in each and every province was published to all the peoples so that the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The curries hastened and impelled by the king's command went out riding on the royal steeds and the decree was given out in the citadel in Susa. Keep going, verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, the refugee, with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, royalty. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews there was light and gladness and joy and honor in each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had befallen them. So Mordecai starts out as an exiled refugee, okay? And then he gets handed the king's scepter. He starts writing decrees, okay? He walks out in royal robes and a golden crown. And in between being a refugee and one in royal robes and a golden crown, he was in sackcloth and ashes mourning the destruction of his people. Okay? You see a process there? Yes. 
We once were not a people, but we are a people. But we align ourselves with the heartbeat of God to bring freedom to those that are being oppressed. And we walk out with the same garments that he has. Royal robes. But it comes through aligning ourselves with the kingdom. So there's a couple of miracles in this that I just want to reference. And notice that wherever the decree went, there was joy and peace and honor and gladness. And it says, wherever the king's decree went. Who made the decree? Mordecai made the decree, but everywhere the decree went, it says when the king's decree got there, it brought joy and gladness and freedom and all those stuff. So Mordecai was able to make a decree that when it got to the people, it was the, uh, the king's decree. Okay? And it brought freedom and joy and gladness. Another amazing thing to me is that 127 provinces, it said, on one day, they all received these decrees. In their own language, all those stuff, as soon as they write the decree, all of the king's men and all of the king's horses were called into service. To carry out the decree signed by the refugee. Yeah. All of the host of heaven. Do you see? In our picture, when we go and we stand in our rightful place and we make decrees on behalf of the Father, they go forth as his decrees, carrying the weight of his signet ring. They cannot be revoked. They cannot be overturned. And all the host of heaven jumps into action. Like on the day of Pentecost, when everybody heard what was being said in their own language, that's the kind of backing we have. God will stand firm to support and to uphold the decrees we make in his behalf. Now, we talked about the place where we make these decrees, and I want to talk about that just briefly to the students, the where, and it's a throne room. And so we can take a twofold picture of the throne room. You can look at the throne room as the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was. Okay? And the priest would go in, the high priest would go in once a year to make atonement for the sins of all the people. And the priest would have to wash themselves and bathe themselves and put on white linen. So they would be spotless, and then they'd have to carry with them the blood of goats and the blood of bulls and the blood of lambs, and they'd have to go in there and pour that blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. That's one picture, and then we can get another picture, if you will. Everyone's seen a movie. I don't know which ones, but you've seen a movie at some point where there is a throne room where a king is seated. So I want you to hold those two pictures in tension, if you will, today. The picture of the holiest of holies and a picture of the throne room where a king would sit on his throne with a golden scepter making decrees. Those are one and the same. And so these priests would have to wash themselves, put on white linen. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. 
and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Sounds like we're in trouble about getting access to the throne room. Because we're unclean, right? All of our iniquities have made us unclean, have made us unrighteous, and we can't go in. Here's what some people try to do, Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. It's amazing to me the terms that are used there because I would use those exact terms to people that I know who clean up themselves religiously and walk into a church so that everybody sees them. I would use those same words right there to, discuss, to describe that action. It's robbery and self-indulgence. It's not worship. It's robbery and it's self-indulgence. We want some type of honor that we don't deserve because of what's on the inside of us, and we try to cover it up enough with our outward expression and with our dress and with our bumper stickers so that people will somehow give us honor that we don't deserve. Yeah. And that people will, it's self-indulgence. Yes, it so much so, careful to say this, but so much so, I've seen people in church that are having such a euphoric expression, it looks almost orgasmic. And it's just for themselves. It's self-fulfillment and self-indulgence. Did not plan on going there today. But I've seen it. I've done it. I've walked into church as a pastor, and I've... I've thrived and felt so fulfilled off of all the people who honor me as a pastor and say, oh, there he is, there's the man, there's blah, 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 blah. And I dressed to the hilt so everybody would know just in case they didn't that I was the pastor, the youth pastor, the under pastor. Wasn't even the pastor, but I sure did like it. But we do that. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are all like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The gist is it doesn't matter what people see on the outside, guys. It doesn't matter. The awesome thing in Hebrews 9, 11, and 14, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of his crea this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, when I talk about stuff like I did a minute ago, about how we do the outside and how we're just self-indulgent and use terms that seem so defaming and mean, 
Those terms he only used for the Pharisees. And it's only people who are too prideful to submit to the love of God. So I'm not being harsh. I'm only being harsh for anything that would try to rob you of true freedom and true love and true liberty. You're not my enemy. I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's not who you are. But you're being robbed if the enemy's convinced you that you can do whatever you want and then dress yourself up and look pretty and be fulfilled by that. And that is a false sense of fulfillment that's going to leave you empty when you walk out and you have to look in the mirror and see yourself again. But there is an invitation for true freedom. That no one, when no one's around, you can know that you are pure. You are holy and you are undefiled. I didn't say you were perfect. I said you are pure and you are holy and you are undefiled because you've accepted the blood of Jesus once and for all to come in and to sprinkle you and to cover you and to wash you clean. You don't have to sit out there and scrub with a bar of soap for four hours before you go into his throne room to try to make sure you're clean enough. You don't have to go to... Uh, I can't even think of a good store because I don't go to them. I almost said Walmart, and that ain't going to be a high-end store, but that's where we go. I don't remember when the last time I bought a garment. Probably about as fancy I get as JCPenney. My garment today was provided by Robert White. Thank you, Robert White Designs. I don't even know if he's here today, but thank you, Robert White. He bought me this shirt. I don't even know where you go, but you can quit trying to do all that stuff. You can just be free. You can be clean. So it might seem like I'm a little bit attacking, but I'm only attacking that spirit that would try to rob you of true freedom because it will wear you out and it will weary you. You know what I found out with, at the end of all my self-indulgence and lording around over people and being high-minded? I found that I was empty and I was angry and I was oppressed and I was miserable. <coughs> Because I can't always find somebody to pat me on the back when I'm at home by myself and I'm left with who I really am. And there's a point when my wife is not impressed by my tie. And she wants me to treat her right. There's a point when my kids aren't impressed with my bumper sticker, but they want a dad who loves them and honors them and treats them with respect and does not provoke them to anger. That's what they want. So the sham only goes so far. But the blood lasts forever. And that's what's been offered to us. So I challenge you today to get neath that cleansing flow. Let him wash you. Make you whole. Ephesians 4, 22. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that sprang from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. That's what Jahan talked about last week. we got to be made new by 
revelations that's been given to us. Without revelation, people perish. Without a redemptive revelation of who God is and his transforming power, we perish because at the end of ourselves and at the end of our striving, if there's not something more supernatural, we know that we are destitute. And to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that fun? Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the only one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Look at Ephesians 1. I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are are in accordance with the working of his strength of, of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in also in the one to come and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fulfills all in all you see that Gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We're the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not things that are on earth. I know I'm just reading a lot of scripture, but I'm going to bring it together in a minute. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now the main point in which has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Isn't that great? The temple was torn. The veil was torn. The temple was destroyed. And now God has pitched a tent. 
He's made a new holy of holies. And he's invited everyone in to this new throne room. And he says, it doesn't matter what you wear as long as you're wearing the blood of my son. You don't have to bring anything with you because you're already covered by his blood. And it says we can come boldly. I'm going to get there in just a minute. (laughs) Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, therefore let us draw near. I love how the worship so often, almost every week, preaches the sermon. That last song they sang today is exactly my entire sermon today. We're crowned with a crown of confidence. We have authority. When we lift our voice, walls fall. When we shout out, miracles start happening, right? I think I reversed those two, but that's okay. It's exactly what I want to talk about today. So we come draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So here we are. There's this throne room. We're not able to go into it. How many people know in the Old Testament you could not enter the Holy of Holies or you would die? You could not look on God or you would die. The high priest could go in and they had no sin. They tied bells around them. In case they died, they can pull them out. That's how difficult it was to go into the presence of God. And today, we're free to come into his presence at any moment, at any time. We're able to live and walk and live and breathe in his presence, in the holiest of holies. Establish a throne room anywhere we want to establish a throne room. We're left with no excuse, as Jahan said last week, not to be in his presence and not to be in his throne. So we see him who died and was rose, rose again, and he rent the veil and opened the throne room and invited us in boldly to come in. But I think coming into the throne room is step one. And I think... Most of us mess up on step two. We confuse. So many people are so afraid to not reverence God in the right way that they fail to obey God. And we think that sacrifice is better than mercy. But he says, I prefer mercy over sacrifice. And so sometimes we come in with some religious duties and we get into the throne and we lay down at his feet and we grovel. And we moan. And we beg. And we plead. But he didn't say, hey, enter boldly into the throne of grace that you would receive mercy. He didn't say, come in, I've got a place for you at my feet to grovel for the end of the ages. Ephesians 2, 4, 
But God, being rich in mercy because his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one would boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For we've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might also be Glorified with him. So we're invited in not to sit and grovel at his feet, but we're invited in. We've just established today through scripture, where's Jesus? Jesus is in the throne room. What is he doing? Seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession. Where are we? Raised us up and seated us with him as co-heirs with Christ. If you have that picture of a throne room in your mind and there's a king sitting on a throne and there's a chair to his right hand and there's another chair to his right hand, then what is the position of those sitting in chairs? Royalty with authority. Just like Esther and Mordecai, they made, he gave them the scepter and said, you write what you say. You sign it with my ring and it can't be overcome. We have made such a model of prayer and throne room where we come in and we beg People come and pray for me sometimes, and I say, please quit praying for me like that. <laughs> like you don't know who God is. Who are you talking to? God, will you please, 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 please help Michael? We are so destitute, and we need your help. I'm like, get off of me. If we can't see what heaven sees, we're stuck in the limitations of our current reality. If we don't know what our role is and what our position is, then we're going to live such a limited existence. We come into prayer and we just beg God. You know what I've learned? Another word for please God, or I'm asking you God, is, Lord, I just pray. Lord, I just pray. Lord, I just pray. You don't have to tell God that you're praying. Yeah. 
Really, that means, Lord, I just ask. Lord, I just ask. Lord, please, please, please. Lord, I just ask. You know, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Jesus is seated. The work has been done. Don't ask him to get back up. Sit beside him and declare through his authority that it's been done. Command things to take place. Write decrees and sign them with his ring. Don't beg him to do something that he's already done. He's not moving. He's not getting up. It's already done. He's not going to heal you. He already healed you. He's not going to heal them. He's already healed them. He's waiting on somebody. I looked for people to stand in the gap, but I found no one, so I left them in their current condition. He's looking for somebody to stand in the gap and say, God, hey, I know what you did. I got the memo. I know what we're supposed to do here. I know what the verdict is here. I know what the assignment is here. I know what the decision is here. I'm in unity here. I don't have to figure it out. So I'm just going to say what you say. Be healed in Jesus' name. Sickness be gone in Jesus' name. You're here illegally. You do not belong in this body. You must remove yourself because of the blood Jesus shed. He paid for healing for this body. You must flee. God, I just pray that you would please heal my friend. Lord, I just pray that you would please. Guys, I'm not trying to be harsh, but it just shows such a limited understanding of what's really going on in the kingdom. It has been done. We don't ask him to do it. It's been done. Let me continue on. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. I want to summarize this for sake of time. In Mark chapter 5, we see a story where a man named Jairus comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his daughter who is sick. And she's in bed and she's sick. And Jesus is on his way to raise up this little girl and this woman with the issue of blood presses through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment and steals all his virtue, and she becomes whole, and Jairus' daughter was left destitute. <coughs> See, we got all these reasons why it might not work and it might not happen. I know what it says, but, you know, what if it ran out? What if healing ran out? What if... Too many people got in line before me, and then there wasn't anything left. While they're standing there, Jesus trying to find out who took the virtue out of him. While they're standing there doing that, the people come and tell Jairus, hey, don't worry about it anymore. She gone. She's dead. Don't even need to worry about him coming anymore. If you can't see what heaven sees, then you're stuck with the current reality, the current limita- the limitations of your current reality. Y'all say it just right. <coughs> Jairus says, "Let's go. Let's keep going. Let's press in." So we get to the house, and people are there mourning and all this. And Jesus says, "Peter, James, and John." Y'all come with me. You other nine, stay outside. They go in. 
Jesus says, this little girl's not dead. She's only asleep. Well, then all the mourners turned into scoffers. See, people love their mourning. If you try to take it away from them, they'll try to kill you. I have learned that. People say, man, why don't you be more sympathetic? I don't want to do anything that diminishes their pain. If they're, if they're stuck on keeping it, I just say, bless you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Get away. Uh, if I try to say something to encourage them, that's going to make them angry. They might take away some of the sting of their reason to mourn. So they turned into ridiculers, and he puts them all out of the room except for the mom and the dad, Peter, James, and John. See, seeing begets seeing. If you can see what heaven sees, you get to see what heaven sees. See, only the people who can see the little girl raise up get to actually see the little girl raise up. You don't even get to go in if you can't see it. See, Jesus knew who would actually have faith to see it, who could see it before they saw it, and those are the ones that he took in with him to actually see it. If you want to start seeing some stuff, you got to start seeing some stuff. If you want to see more, you got to start seeing more. You've got to stop seeing things the wrong way if you really want to see it the right way. We got to start having faith. We got to start living by sight in the unseen instead of being in fear of everything that's around us. But there's an invitation to see more, but you have to start seeing less. Before you see more. Some of us need to go blind. I preached a sermon one time, go blind for Jesus, about Saul. Some of us need to just go blind. It'd be the best thing ever happened to us if we just went blind. Couldn't see anything for about six months. We learn to quit going by what we see all the time. If we could go blind and not hear and not see, go deaf, we'd be a lot better. Some of us. Because every single thought, every emotion we have is based on what we see and what we hear around us. Instead of what we can't see in heaven and what we believe. But if you want to see more, you got to start seeing more. So there's all these reasons why this mom and this dad should doubt and worry. And some of those things, I think, just filter in. And we start thinking somehow God is diminished or somehow timing is wrong. Or somehow all this stuff is not going to take place. But we had to have faith. We had to believe. They didn't waver in what they could see. Sandwiched right in that, right after Mark chapter 5, we see Mark chapter 6 where Jesus goes back to his hometown. And when he goes to his hometown, the people were amazed at what all Jesus was doing. And then some smart aleck speaks up and says, Well, isn't that just a carpenter? Isn't that just Mary's son? Isn't that just so-and-so's brother? Isn't that just, what's his name? That's uh, his sister's, what's her name, you know? Isn't he this? Isn't he that? And so all that doubt and belief started coming up, and they got offended with him, and they started doubting him, and he could do no work there. And so I see what robs us from our authority so many times, and what robbed Jesus, it said he could not do could not do anything there. So what robs us from the authority that we've been given, I believe so many times, we've just seen our righteousness 
is his filthy rags. We have nothing. We can't come into the throne room whatsoever unless we're covered by his righteousness and we're covered by his blood. That's what gives us authority. But when we start looking past him in us and we start looking back to who's our mom and who's our brother and who we are, we start doubting the Jesus in us just like they doubted the Jesus that was standing before them, then we doubt the authority that we have through the Jesus that's in us. Yeah. And then we can do no miracles there. You know, the only way that when you shout walls don't fall and when you open your mouth miracles don't happen, the only way that that cannot be true is if you doubt the Jesus that's in you. If you think that somehow the Michael that's in you is going to be is going to veto the Jesus that's in you. If you forget that it's Jesus, if you forget the supernatural that's in you, and you start looking at the natural that was you, then you're going to be robbed of the authority that he's given you. And so they saw Jesus. They saw that so many, all of us in this room, you've had this moment. Most of us in this room have come to a place of salvation. And you had this moment where this hope and this peace and this faith rose up in you and you you were challenged to surrender your life and accept something supernatural on the inside. And yet somehow we go back to putting our confidence in who we were before instead of who we are now. We were put off the old self and take on the new and walk in that authority. And so we can never properly see ourselves sitting on a throne if we always see ourselves disconnected from Christ and walking in our own identity because of who we are. But if we'll see ourselves fully enveloped into Christ and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's sitting at the right hand of God and we're seated right beside him, that changes our perspective on what our position is in our circumstances and in our situation. We go from being the beggar on the floor to the one in authority sitting on a throne. You're not a beggar on the floor due to your situations or your circumstances or the mountains that are in front of you. You are royalty on a throne with all the host of heaven backing up your decrees. You're not alone. You're not an orphan. You are who he says you are. You have authority. You have power. Isaiah. I don't know what I did with that. I don't even, I don't have the passage here, but in Isaiah... says, the increase of his government and of peace will know no end. The increase of his government and his peace will know no end. I just got a picture this week of increased government. Increased government. I believe it's a picture of a growing line of chairs around the throne. 
So an increase, I brought these chairs, and I don't know for sake of time. Ben, grab a chair and come sit by me. John, grab a chair and come sit by me. Lisa, grab a chair. Rudy, grab a chair. Well, you're going to go play the drums. Britton, grab a chair. Jaden, grab a chair. Hurry up. An increase of his government. An increase of his government. Brandon, grab a chair. Jeff, grab a chair, please. An increase of his government shall know no end. Shall know no end. The increase of his government just keeps growing and extending and expanding. And so there's all of these people that know the heart of the king. They know what decrees he wants to be made. And we're spread out all over the land. And we just sit around and we just make his decrees. We just make his decrees. We just make his decrees. And all of heaven is backing every single place of authority that people are sitting in. The increase of his government shall know no end. And so every single one of us in this place, you've got a chair and you've got a throne and it's seated and it's an extension. There's no separation of you and the king. You're an extension of his authority. And everything you say goes and everything you decree comes to pass. We are the increase of his government. We are the expansion. We are the annex. We're supposed to be going into every province. We're supposed to be making decrees, and the host of heaven is carrying them into every language, every province, every place, and the picture of the world around us should be the picture of the Jews all the way from, I don't remember where, all the way to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. There was joy and gladness and honor and peace. Our world should be joy and honor and gladness and peace because of the increase of his government. But how many vacant thrones are there? There's vacant thrones. He put you a chair. He raised you up. He seated with him. You felt hope. You felt peace. You felt like you could conquer the world. And then you made a mistake. And then you forfeited your throne. Well, I don't deserve to sit there. Maybe the pastor can pray for me. Maybe somebody can help me. Help me, please. Help me. Pray a prayer for me. Do something for me. Help me. We got just one at a time, guys. Ben, just go down. Vacant your throne. Just go sit out there in the audience. Because that's all you can do is show up once a week. And you don't carry anything. Go sit down out there because you made a mistake and you don't deserve to be sitting on a throne anyways. You know, just go sit down because you got um, gauges in your ear. And that's probably disqualifying in some place. John, you go sit down because you're black and you're in a predominantly white church. So you're not supposed to carry any influence here anyway. So just go sit down. Lisa, go sit down. Jaden, you're way too young to sit up here. Go sit down. Look at you, you got flip-flops and shorts on. You go sit down, you can't be up here. Yeah, we laugh about all those external things, but it's just it's so serious. Y'all vacate your thrones for much more ridiculous things than that. What robe do you think that you're wearing that's unworthy? 
And what kind of pride were you living in to think you could possibly dress yourself up enough to go into that throne room in anything other than covered by the blood of Jesus? And if you're covered by his blood, what possible problem do you think you have that can separate you from that blood and uncover you where you're no longer allowed to go into his presence? Nothing. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. He told us when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. Can I just touch on one more thing? Hey, Jahan, will you, Jahan, come here, Jahan, please, Jahan, and give me a glass of Jahan, please, water, Jahan, Jahan, please, Jahan. How ridiculous is that statement? Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. We just love you, Father God, right now, Father God. Please, Father God, touch us, Father God. Love you, Father God, Father God, Father God. Father God, 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 Father God. What are you doing? Vain repetitions. Like the Pharisees do and the hypocrites do. Vain repetitions in front of people. Go into a quiet room. <clears throat> Say his name one time. Dad, holy, complete, and lacking nothing are you. And for the next however long, I'm going to operate in that wholeness and that completeness and I'm going to make some decrees that I know are in your heart and are backed up with all of heaven. I decree this to be. I declare this is so. I stand firm that this is the will of heaven. I invoke all of the warring angels in behalf of this situation. In Jesus' name, I seal it. Let it not be revoked or overturned. Would you rather have that or Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God? <laughs> what in the world? Now listen, I know that it's happening. <coughs> and I'm not accusing. We might have somebody come up and pray next week and they say it eight times and y'all have to call them a hypocrite. Look. I know it becomes habit-forming. But there's a lot of things that become habit-forming, and I don't think that's an excuse for not doing the right things. <laughs> so let's put aside childish things, and let's begin to yeah. pray with authority. Because yes. you're supposed to be saying, God, I'm going to spend a few minutes saying, let heaven come. Let your will yeah. be done yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. opposite of what you've heard many times in your life at the end of a service somebody says everybody stand I'm going to say everybody sit make that a throne right now somebody come play now if you need to sit somewhere separate if you need to remove yourself from where you are but I want you to find you a throne today And I want you to sit on that throne. We had students do this. 
We had them write decrees, what they decree in their rightful place of authority. And then we had them get up and dance over those decrees. And they danced for an hour over them. It wasn't emotionalism. They danced with power and authority over those things. And said, let it be so. You might want to get a piece of paper out. If you want to see other things, you've got to start seeing and decreeing. You can't keep wondering what the heart of God is. You've got to settle it. You remember that time Jesus prayed for somebody that was blind and he said, Father, if it be your will, let them see. Why not? He was teaching us the way to live as respectful people under God. Shouldn't he have asked God if it was God's will before he just said it to be? Maybe he already knew God's will. Maybe he was showing us God's will. The exact representation of the Father walked and breathed and lived here. Blind people gained sight. Lame people walked. I don't beg God to heal Kenny's legs. I don't beg God to heal Susan's leg. I don't beg God to remove this cripple from him. I don't have any doubt what God's will is. Well, if you pray right, why ain't it happening right? I don't know, but I'm going to keep praying right. I curse crippling disease in Jesus' name. I say it's illegal for you to torment this man of God. You have no place in his body. I command his legs and everything attached, whatever's causing the problem, I command you to line up with the word of God. Let righteousness and orderness flow through every vessel, every cell, every member, every muscle. In Jesus' name, align with kingdom purpose right now in Jesus' name. I curse hindrance and blockages in Susan's name, right now, in her leg, right now. Through the authority of the cross, I say let blood flow, let circulation flow, let veins that have been stripped out and removed, let new veins be put in. Let it, be a, let it just wow the doctors. Let it leave them completely clueless and lost. But time has been spent enough in this torment. I curse you in Jesus' name. And I say you have no place in her body. You're there illegally. We see you, crippling spirit. We expose you right now. You hindering, tormenting spirit. We curse you and cast you out by the authority of Jesus Christ in Jesus' name.
Maybe you need to write down some decrees. A man that doubts the heart of God and what his intentions are is like a wave in the sea. Tossed to and fro, unstable in all of his ways. <coughs> How could you pray with authority about things you don't know if it's in God's heart? Sleeplessness. I curse you in Jesus' name. I bind you up. And I cast you out. God, your word said, which is the law book that we go by, your word said that the sleep of the righteous should be sweet. So I just release sweet sleep in Jesus' name. We release all authority of heaven right now. We release warring angels to guard their hearts and their minds. Let their sleep be sweet in Jesus' name. Every tormenting lie, we expose you right now. Every tormenting lie, we expose you right now. Every anxious thought right now, we take you captive and we make you bow at the feet of Jesus. Wow. Did y'all see that, what I just saw? The Bible says we're supposed to take every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, cast it down at his feet. If you're groveling at his feet, you're down there with all the yucky stuff. You need to get up out of the yucky stuff and sit down beside him. It said it put him on a throne and it put everything under his feet. If you're sitting beside him, where's all that stuff? It's under your feet. Far above. He's seated far above angels and principalities. And we're seated right beside him. Even if you got to ask a question, it's more like a conference, not a begging. It's like looking over in a conference. Just want to confirm before I make this decree on this certain thing. You just change your position. I'm speaking to things. Then I can look over him and say, God, I thank you for Michaela. 
She's so beautiful. She's so wonderful. I thank you for her life. I thank you for letting us be a part of her life. And so, God, I know your heart for Michaela, and I know what you did, Christ, for her life. So right now, I'm going to lend my authority that you've given me, and I curse every cell out of order in her body. Everything that they've seen this week and at whatever, whatever spot, what, I, I don't know, all the, all the technical lingo, but everything that would cause any fear or any anxiety or any turmoil or any stress, I just say right now that you are illegal. I curse you in Jesus' name. We declare healing and wholeness over Michaela Morton in Jesus' name. She will live and show forth the praises of him who called her out of darkness into his marvelous light. She will raise Judah to be a man of God who will come to know you at an early age. And he'll serve you all the days of his life because of the testimony of his mother and the life that she lives of worship and surrender. We thank you, God. For Michaela, who's fearfully and wonderfully made. And we curse every abnormality that would try to insert itself into this fearfully and wonderfully made vessel. We build up a hedge right now in the spirit. We just build up a hedge because you've given us authority. You've given us tools. So right now we put those tools into action and we build up a hedge. We build up walls of protection around her and her son. And we just ask you to cover them right now in Jesus' name. You're not the warring angels. You're not the warring angels. You'll get your tail whipped in that row. You're the sons and daughters that sit on the throne of authority. We don't even get down and wallow with all those principalities and powers. We sit above them on the throne. When we speak, just like those Jews heard the decree and it was the king's decree, can you just see when you open your mouth, those principalities, they hear the voice of God yes. from your mouth. You are a vessel of honor, an ambassador of truth. A king and a queen sitting on a throne. <laughs> heirs and joint heirs with Christ, with all authority and dominion. Act like it. Don't vacate your seat.
would happen? What would happen if just the people in this room, even on a small attendance day, what if just the people in this room all took their seats and increased the government of the kingdom? Knew who they were, knew who he was, knew what his heart was for those around him, and just sat around all day making decrees. What would happen? What would your family look like? What would your workplace look like if you just looked around your workplace and declared over Susie health and wholeness and over Jimmy and his home would be restored and his marriage and his love and for his wife would be rekindled and if you just sat around and on your throne made decrees instead of sitting in your little swivel chair at work popping a Prozac trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills you know right after Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 6 after they went to the town where they didn't believe in him and he could do no great work, that's when he decides to send the disciples out. That's a rough time. Don't you want to send them out after a huge victory so they're emotionally excited? He sends them out. We could do no great miracles there. Now I'm going to send you guys out to do great miracles. Wait, you couldn't even do miracles. What? I think it's so significant that he tells them, don't take anything with you. Don't even put two coats on. Try to be tricky and put two coats on, you know. So you got one extra just in case. Don't try to hide things away. Because he knew if they couldn't see, they couldn't see. If you can't see God moving in your little situations, providing enough for you, you'll never be able to see what he wants to do enough to make decrees in other people's lives. You can't raise the dead till you believe he's going to pay KUB. Yeah, I mean, it just ain't going to happen. So he knew. If y'all take a bunch of stuff with you and you're worrying about all that stuff, if you can't get past that, you're never going to cast out any demons. We got to get free of some stuff so we can start seeing right. Live by faith. Greatest miracle God ever did for me was fire me for a job, make me lose my house, and my truck get repossessed. I'm dead serious. Because none of that stuff has any place on me anymore. Could not care less. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. It don't matter to me. What's the worst that can happen? That's what I always ask. What's the worst that can happen? What's <laughs> the worst that can happen? Shoot. My favorite line in the movie is Rocky at the end of Rocky Five when he punches the, old co- the guy and the guy 
says, touch me and I'll sue you, touch me and I'll sue you. And Rocky just rears back, punches him, knocks him up on the hood of a car and says, sue me for what? <laughs> if you can't look at the adversary, Jesus said he has no place in me. If you can't look at him when he tries to threaten you and make you worry about a bunch of stuff so you quit believing who you really are, if you can't look at him and say, what are you going to do, man? <laughs> What's the worst thing you can do is kill me? And then you completely lose for all eternity. You can't even play with me anymore. I know how much you love to play with me, try to torment me. You won't even be able to touch me anymore. That's the ultimate defeat for you. So you don't want to go there. So back up and shut up. It's the worst that can happen. Be free. Be free. Be free. And don't leave your throne for nothing. For nothing. Don't get up and try to fix a bunch of stuff. Sit back down. Sit back down. Anything that needs to be done has already been done. All that's left to do is the declaring it. Believing it. Walking in it. In Jesus' name, so be it. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 